Well, good morning. It's so great to be with you today. My name is Corey, and I get to serve as the teaching pastor for our Plain City campus, and it's great to gather with you. It's great to worship with you this morning. As we begin today, um, today's date is, is a date that most of us will never, ever forget. September 11th um, is one of those days that each of us uh, that can remember um, know exactly where we were on 9-11. We, we know exactly who we were with. We know exactly what we, we felt like. And it's, it's just a day that, that we'll, we'll never forget. It's a day that our country was tragically and horrifically attacked and oh, 2,977 people lost their lives. And um, just it's a day that we, we remember today. We remember the, those who've lost their lives. We remember the loved ones who, who have lost those nearest and dearest to, to them. And, and really, it's a great reminder, I think, how life on this earth is so very fragile and that we're to use our lives here on this earth and to leverage them for eternity. And, and really, I think that's what makes this series we're in so special right now is because we're dealing with our relationships in this series. And in this series, we're getting relational insight into how to believe correctly and how to treat one another carefully. And as we do so, we're going to, and we probably already have, run into some things where we think are right or feel are right that have been influenced by our upbringing, our personal experiences, or even by culture themselves. Those things, maybe more than we realized, are coming out in, in this series. But what we want to do, and what I'm so thankful that we do here at LifePoint, is we're going to talk about the tough the tough verses, we're going to talk about the tough topics, but in doing so, right, we want to seek what God and his word has to say and set that as our foundation in moving forward. Therefore, we're going to, we're going to teach and we're going to study the Bible because we believe that it searches our motives and it exposes our hearts because it's a book that knows us because the one who made us is the one who wrote the book. And so we're going to continue this week where we left off last week. And so much like last week, we got a little bit more of a mature topic this Sunday. And so nothing graphic, but just a little bit more mature in nature. So with that being said, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment as we enter these scriptures. So if you have some kids in the room that you said, you know what, they're fifth grade and under, I think I'd rather have them be with LifePoint kids rather than here today, since we're talking about something a little more adult, um, that's fine. Um, but you can do that as, as I pray in just a moment. You could take that opportunity. So let's, um, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we approach the scriptures today, um, it's a great reminder that we're not going to shy away from, from anything that you've given us. And instead, we want to search it out and we want to set it as our firm foundation. And so, Lord, would you guide us through today? Would you protect us today, protect our hearts, protect our minds, um, Lord, from just wandering to places they shouldn't be. And Lord, today, may they just be focused on what you would have for us. And I pray that we leave today um, different than, than we came in, that 
for marriages and for individuals and for single folks that they would leave today better equipped, more prepared um, to live out uh, their relationships within marriage as you intended them to be. So Lord, have your hand upon all that we're doing and just richly bless it this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I wanna invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians and chapter seven. As you're making your way there, just a reminder of our big idea for this series is that we believe God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. That we believe God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. And last week, we discussed the Christian faith and sexual morality outside of marriage. This week, we're going to discuss those same things, but look at them inside of marriage. And the key question we have for today is this, is what is the ultimate purpose for marriage? And so if you're, you're married or you're single, I believe there's something God has for each of us today, but it's an important question. What is the ultimate purpose for, for marriage? And I wonder, how would you answer that question yourself? That if somebody took you out to, to coffee or if you went and got lunch with somebody and they said, hey, well, what... What's, what's the purpose? What's the biblical purpose for marriage anyways? How would you answer that? Do you feel equipped to answer that? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And in doing so, as we jump back into 1 Corinthians, let's remember the context and the culture that Paul was dealing with as he wrote this letter. The Corinthian culture was a highly sexualized culture. They had the temple of Aphrodite there. There were over a thousand prostitutes constantly working the city. So Paul shows up and he says, you know what? Looks like a great place to start a church, right? So Paul plants a church in the middle of Corinth. He spends a year and a half with with all these folks. And then he leaves to go plant churches elsewhere. Shortly after he leaves, he begins to to get some troubling reports about this once healthy church in Corinth. Not only that, he gets a letter from the Corinthian Christians themselves with issues they're going through and questions they needed answered from Paul, the one who helped them plant their church and establish them in their faith. And in verse 1, Paul begins to to reply. It says this in in chapter 7 and verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul here in verse 1, what he does, again, he's addressing something specific, specific questions, specific issues they wrote to him about. And what was happening in the church in Corinth with Christians at this time was a spiritual issue over celibacy, right? Celibacy means abstaining from sex. It means abstaining from marriage altogether, And these Christians in Corinth, they incorrectly thought that being celibate would make a person more holy, more spiritual, or more mature. And maybe they thought this way because of of their culture, right? That if sexual immorality was such a danger, well, what, what better way to be more pure and more holy than abstaining from sex within marriage altogether? But this thinking has no basis for itself in in scripture or what Paul had taught them. And I don't know, I think sometimes as Christians, we can run into sinful things and we can run into ungodly things. And then in an effort to stay away from those things or flee from them, we can go so far in the other direction at times that we can get off track there too. And that's exactly what happened here in, in Corinth. They were looking at marriage as less holy than, than being celibate. 
And as a result, there were people within their marriages that said, hey, we're going to stop being physically intimate with one another. And they took it to such a degree that there were married couples beginning to separate from one another because they thought they would attain some higher spiritual maturity in doing so. And the sad thing was they started living this way and promoting this thinking within the church long before they got Paul's response. So when Paul says it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, what he's getting at and telling them is, hey, outside of the context of marriage, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And he's saying at the same time, celibacy, right, might be the way for some of you, but it's certainly not the norm and it's not the path for all of you. And that celibacy is not better, it's not more mature, it's not more spiritual or holy than marriage is, and it has no place for itself within a, a marriage. Okay, so Paul's communicating this with, with them and to curb and correct their wrong thinking and their wrong living, right? And Paul makes sure he doesn't take their words out of context because the very next word, verse, right after he says this, he says, but, in verse 2, or nevertheless, it says, nevertheless, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That in light of the danger of, of sexual immorality that was ever present in Corinth, Paul says it's appropriate for a husband to have his wife and a wife to have her husband in a physically intimate sense. What Paul is not communicating here is he's not commanding single people to get married. He's not saying that sex is the only reason for marriage or the most important reason for marriage. And in what we're reading and about to read, Paul is not giving a complete theology on marriage. He is simply answering their specific question that they wrote to him. And he's correcting where they were doing this stuff wrong. And he says what husbands and wives should continue in their physical intimacy within their marriages. And now, again, context is, is key because these Christians in Corinth, as we kind of looked at last week, they were expressing their sexual urges any way they wanted with anyone they wanted. And so Paul is saying to them, hey, since the temptation of sexual immorality is, is so great and so prevalent for you, the best thing for some of you is to go find a husband or find a wife and experience that physical intimacy in the way God intended it inside of marriage. And doing so for you is actually what's going to be best for your sexual purity. Now, with that in mind, knowing that they needed to be walked through this step by step, Paul says in verse 3, he says, Husbands should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, I don't know about you. I don't use those words, right? Like conjugal rights never come out of my mouth, all right, ever. And they never will, right? And so... I like how the New King James Bible version translates this verse. It says it this way. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Digging into that word affection and that phrase affection due, right? The word affection means far more than just something physical or sexual. It means this, and I think it's amazing. Listen to this. It means love. It means like. It means gentleness. It means care. It means warmth. It means endearment. It means tenderness and devotion. And the way this affection is expressed is not just by touch. That's one way. 
but it's by look and it's by gestures and it's by words. Kind of takes this thing of affection to a whole nother level and everything Paul is talking about to a whole nother level, doesn't it? So what he's dealing with, he's dealing with people that have gone from sexual immorality and swung the pendulum so far in the other direction. Now that they're practicing sexual abstinence within marriage, Paul addresses their overcorrectedness and their error. And he says, hey, husbands, show your wife the due affection she deserves. Wives, show your husband the affection that's due to him. And that it's wrong for for either one of them to, to withhold that affection from one another. What we see here is something I think our world gets messed up all the time, and it's this, that you don't get married to to live as if you're single, and you're not supposed to live married as a single person, right? What that means is, right, too many times we see married people acting like they're single, and too many times we see single people acting like they're married. Sadly, too many times in, in, in marriage, the couples just become roommates, They're just ships passing in the night. Sometimes the kids dominate our schedules and our lives so much that we we lose touch with our our spouse and we barely know each other. Sometimes our jobs get so busy and so elevated, become a priority that that the relationship with our our spouse goes distant and we stop dating one another and showing affection to one another. We act as if we're single. And way too many times, single folks, right, on the other hand, act as if they're married in, in their actions, how they perform their emotions towards one another or how they act spiritually towards one another or how they act sexually towards one another. They're acting as if they're married and they're not. And in both cases, Paul says this isn't what God intended. So the phrase, the affection due to one another in marriage is an important phrase for us to understand. Paul meant it to be applied to marriage and not singleness. It shows that every wife has affection due to her and every husband has affection due to him. And you say, well, why is this important? Why is this even important today? And here's what I think is is beautiful about what Paul is writing to here. This means affection is not just for the young and the pretty and the handsome. It means that when a married couple is unable, for whatever reason, physical or other reasons, not to have a complete sexual relationship, they can still have an affectionate relationship with one another and thus fulfill God's purpose for these commands here. That in regards to our affection, Paul also says to give that to the other person or to render it to the other person. That affection, sexual or otherwise, is not something we We take from the other person. It's not, hey, you owe me and I take from you. It's not that at all. And this was so important during the culture because during this time, it was considered the man's prerogative to to have sexual rights over over the woman's, right? But Paul is communicating here is something completely countercultural, and I love it. It's another way where Christianity, God, and the Bible even elevate women to a higher standard than our society gives us gives us culture or credit for, right? Paul says, listen, here's the deal. It's an equal level thing. It's a mutual responsibility. It's a mutual thing that we, when we come together and give affection to, to our spouse. That, that yeah, there is a, a duty towards one another, but it's never, never, never at the expense of your spouse. That each person is to be available to one another, 
but you're not to deprive each other of that affection and you're not to abuse it either, right? That it's a privilege within marriage. Paul's teaching that God's design for for affection and physical intimacy within marriage is a mutual thing, it's proper, it's a responsibility, it's of high value, it's sacred, and it's healthy in the context of marriage. And this affectionate obligation was so concrete that Paul says in verse four, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is a great reminder to go back a verse we looked at last week in Genesis chapter two, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. In God's design for marriage, we see one plus one equals one, right? That's God's design for marriage. One plus one equals one. The amazing oneness in marriage, the joining of ourselves together as as one flesh, the giving of ourselves to one another. And, And just to be clear, just to be clear, Nowhere is Paul justifying a husband or a wife abusing or coercing their spouse sexually or otherwise. Paul is saying, hey, our affection, physical and non, is never to be used as a weapon or an abusive way. I want to be clear about that today, that affection and sexual love within marriage is a beautiful tool to build with and never to fight with. That marriage is not just some means to get get sexual gratification for our lives. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. In biblical marriage, two people covenant away their rights to the other person. They give their bodies to the other person. You place your your body in the hands of your spouse, and that's that's not gratification. That's sanctification, and that's not manipulation. That's service to one another. It's not how can I get my needs met, but hey, my needs belong to you now. We are one. And sadly, this passage, this is why I'm spending so much time on it right now, this passage has been weaponized through the years. Some have incorrectly thought and taught that, hey, men have these out-of-control desires. Women do not, but women just gotta give up their bodies and do whatever the man or the husband says in marriage. This is not, this is not what God and the Bible or Paul is teaching here at all. What God and the Bible and Paul is trying to get across to to those he wrote to is this, that God's intended design for marriage is two people experiencing desire and giving up their their bodies to one another because they are now one in the context of, of mutual delight and joy that comes in marriage. I was so challenged by one of our staff folks. They they shared this regarding this passage this week and what they were thinking. Um it was just kind of blew my mind. I want to share it with you. They said this. They said, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in all areas of our lives, including the area of sex. I think that's extremely powerful. I think that takes physical intimacy to a completely different level. Hear that again. The fruit of the Spirit should be evident in all areas of our lives, including with sex. Now remember, remember where we started today right? That we're going to run into things that we think are right or feel are right or our past or the culture, right, has influenced us maybe more than than we realized. And so my hunch is some of you are feeling that right now. And by some eyeballs, I'm feeling 
that you're feeling that right now, okay? So, but we must, we must, we must remember that, that we want to seek God and his word and set these things as our foundation for our, our lives. And so Paul is answering these questions that the Corinthians have written to him about, and he's unpacked a lot. And as he often does, Paul really covers his bases to make sure he covers all the different circumstances. And he does so in verse 5, saying, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul making his point here further, do not deprive one another. Don't keep affection. Don't keep romance. Don't keep physical intimacy from, from your marriage. He says those things should be a normal part of marriage and it's not something either spouse should deprive each other from. And remember, Paul is still rejecting their idea of celibacy within marriage as we walk through these things. And what's interesting is Paul does say there is a unique occasion to not be physically intimate with one another, right? And my hunch is none of us have ever practiced this. None of us have ever gone to this verse in marriage, so, but we're still going to talk about it, right? Paul says, hey, you, you can stop being physically intimate for, for a time, but here's the ground rules. Notice he gives specific ground rules for this. He says it's mutual agreement. He says it's for a limited time. He says it's for a specific purpose in prayer, and he says, come back together physically pretty quickly after. And he says, if you don't follow these ground rules, here's the big deal with them. You're going to open the door for Satan himself to come and tempt you within marriage. That if you're going to try to do this thing your way or not with the ground rules set, right, you're, you're, Satan's going to potentially come in and destroy your marriage. You're going to potentially go look for fulfillment elsewhere. So he lays out these ground rules. and He says, if you don't follow them, like, like this is for your own good because you lack self-control. So come back together and be intimate again. And it would be easy for these Corinthians to think that self-control, well, gosh, that's going to be best expressed by abstaining from, from physical intimacy within marriage. But Paul says, hey, to deprive one another is actually to show a lack of self-control within your marriage. And then that lack of self-control will leave one easily tempted by Satan if you continue it. This is why we see that, that married couples are to be in tune with one another in matters that are both physical and spiritual. That we're to be in tune with our spouse with things both physical and spiritual. So Paul has walked us through a lot this morning in just five verses. And so the question now comes is, how do we bring this text to a close for our lives today? I, I think in, in two ways, right? One is practical and the other is spiritual. Practically speaking, what we see in these verses today is that God has a wonderful design and a high view of marriage, that we cannot separate what matters from our spouse to what matters for me that we cannot use sex for our own gratification. When we do, we miss out the way God has designed oneness to happen, that we belong together in, in marriage. And that we also, practically speaking, need to be very careful how culture has, has influenced us in these areas, in our marriage, in our sex life, in being a husband, and in being a wife, because it may have had a greater impact than we realize today. That our culture will try to convince us that the ultimate purpose for your marriage is just to make you happy. However, personal happiness is not the ultimate goal of marriage. It's a byproduct of our joyful relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
Because you see, when a husband and wife are yielded to the Lord, they will seek to please each other in the marriage relationship, and that marriage relationship will be so satisfying, the husband and wife won't even think about going elsewhere to fulfill that. So practically speaking, what if we began to ask, how can I please God by pleasing my spouse? What if we began to submit to Christ and submit to one another in our marriages? And what if both spouses, the husband and the wife, did this at an increasing level? I would say that's countercultural. That's biblical. That's God-honoring. That's a marriage worth getting excited about and looking forward to if you're a single person, right? So that's practically speaking, but spiritually speaking, God's word, again, must be our foundation for these things. God makes it clear that there is nothing wrong and everything right about marriage and sex within marriage. However, that means if it's spiritual in nature, we must be aware and ready for our adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those who may, he can devour and destroy, right? Especially your marriage. He's been doing this since the very beginning of this book. When you go back to Genesis chapter two and God brings Eve to Adam and God performs the very first marriage ceremony in the Garden of Eden, the very next verse, who shows up? Satan shows up and he tries to destroy what God has put together. Satan's great strategy regarding sex and marriage is to do everything he can to destroy it to encourage sex outside of marriage, to, to degrade sex to his level, to destroy a woman's approach to sex, to distort a man's view of sex, and to even discourage sex within marriage, thus ruining God's intended and healthy plan for marriage, for physical intimacy, for families, for homes, and for men and for women. Be very clear today, Satan hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your spouse. He hates your home. He hates your kids. And single folks, he hates your future marriage. He hates your future kids. He hates your future household. So we see marriage is extremely spiritual in nature. So we come back to our original question then, what's the ultimate purpose of marriage? What's the ultimate purpose of marriage? I believe we get our answer from Paul, but in another letter that he wrote. He wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter five, and we are just going to quickly go through this, not do it justice today, but I wanna read this for us this morning. He says in verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without a blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery 
And I am saying this, and here is the key for these verses and the key for marriage. I'm saying this as it refers to Christ and the church. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife and himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul talks about all this marriage stuff in Ephesians 5. And he kind of wraps it up with, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. And I think this is where we see marriage is a picture of the gospel and marriage is missional. Your marriage is part and a picture of the gospel and it's missional at the same time. That is the ultimate goal of m- biblical marriage on this earth. That, that there's other things that play into it, but this is the ultimate goal right? That it's a picture of the gospel and it's missional. And you might say, well, why? Where, why would you even say that? Well, listen, Paul says, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. In doing so, it's going to speak the gospel to the world. You say, well, how does that, how does loving my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it actually speak the gospel? And how is that missional to the world? Because listen, this is how Jesus loved the church. He loved the church, the church, He loved us in our lost state in assessing our needs. He loved us in a self-sacrificing way in meeting our needs when we were lost and separated from God. He loved us when we were undeserving of receiving his love. Jesus loved us when we were incapable of returning his love. And he loved us by humbling himself at the expense of his reputation to give us his love. And Paul says, hey, Husbands, this is how Christ loved the church and this is how you're to love your wife. And when you do, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church and it's missional. So for husbands today, a challenging question to leave with. What would the lost world think about your relationship with Jesus if their only way of ever understanding your relationship with Jesus was through watching your relationship with your wife. It's a tough one. What would the lost world think about your relationship with Jesus if the only thing they could ever see was your relationship with your wife? And for wives, Paul says, submitting to your husband as the church submits to Christ also speaks the gospel. It's also missional that if Jesus loved the church the way that we just described, who wouldn't want to follow a loving leader that way? So when a husband loves his wife as God intends him to and as Christ loved the church, there's a wonderful fellowship that happens with wives and it's not degrading and it's not belittling and it's not demeaning and it's not condescending and it's not forced. It's biblical, it's willing, it's godly. It's a response to love and sacrifice. It's, it's beautiful and it's of high honor. Wives, your relationship with your husband pictures the church and Christ. Therefore, it's, an also, it's also a picture of the gospel and it's also missional. So the same challenging question for the wives out there, what if the lost world, right? What would the lost world think about your relationship with your husband? Let me get that right. What would the lost world think about your relationship with Jesus if the only thing they could see is your relationship with your husband? Again, it's that picture of the gospel, and it's missional at the same time. And so if you're married today, man, how is your marriage doing in being a picture of the gospel? How's your marriage doing in being missional? What needs to improve? 
What needs to change? Where do you need to invite God in to do a work on your marriage? And, and today, if, if your marriage is hurting, if it's broken, if it's, if it's being repaired, if it's not what it should be, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't fall into the comparison trap. Don't go, go talking to all the people around the neighborhood and family with all the issues are. Instead, right, press into the Lord today. You may not be able to change your, your spouse but God sure can. And in the process, as you lean into the Lord, you just allow him to change you and work on you. Because see, in marriage, here's the priorities in our marriage. It's God first, our spouse second, and our children third. Too many times we get that all out of order and all out of whack. And so in a practical way, I would say if, if you're married or single and you're like, gosh, we need some work on our marriage or we need some folks to keep us accountable to making sure it's God and spouse, you know, and then our kids or purity and singleness. Today's a great day to get connected in a life group, right? To, to connect with some folks that are gonna do life with you. And it's a perfect day because out in the lobby, we have our catalogs for life groups. So you can get around some folks that can keep you accountable to some things, to encourage you, to pray for you, to spur you on in some things. Today is a perfect day to do that and not walk alone anymore. It's part of why we say we wanna be a church where no one walks alone. If you're sitting here today and you're, and you're single and you're like, what do I do with everything you just talked about today? Maybe leave asking yourself, how does God want to prepare me now for a future marriage? How does God want me to prepare now for potential marriage later? How does God want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus so that you can be the spouse you're supposed to be later? But regardless of where we find ourselves today, we need to know, and I think everybody would be in agreement on this, marriage is not perfect. Right? And it is not always easy. But I will tell you, it is definitely and completely worth it. So as we leave today, my hope for us, we put God's word as that firm foundation and we leave with this view of marriage and intimacy today the way God intends it to be in our lives. Knowing that when we do, when we approach these things the way God wants us to, when we set his word as our firm foundation, it brings great joy and fulfillment to our lives. That is beautiful. And it values both the male and the female at an equal level. That it's missional. And that it speaks the gospel. And that it glorifies God when we approach marriage and sexual morality the way God intends it to be in our lives. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your word does not shy away from the tough topics of life and that it, um, it speaks to our greatest needs and it speaks to our greatest desires. And Lord, we, we know that marriage is not easy, but your word is straightforward to how you want it to look and how you want it to be. So give us grace today just to apply what we've learned into our lives, whether single or whether married, whether it's for right now or for if it's in the future. Lord, help us, to, help us to take what you have to say. And Lord, by your spirit, just work it into our lives. Work it into the husbands out there and the wives out there and to the marriages that are out there. Work it into the lives of the, the teenagers and the single folks out there, Lord. 
and just remind us that marriage is special. Two become one. And it's a reflection of Christ in the church. And Lord, it can be missional and it can speak the gospel. And so Lord, help us to, to live that way. And in doing so, glorify you in our bodies while we have time on this earth, leveraging it for eternity. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.